Hi there, you're listening to the Practical Stoic Podcast with your host, me, Simon Drew. If you'd like to listen to over 200 episodes that were recorded before 2020, then you can head to my Patreon site. It's patreon.com forward slash Simon J.E. Drew. We'd love to have you there and any support is greatly appreciated. We'd love to also have you on our Facebook community, The Practical Stoic Mastermind. But for now, enjoy the show. Hi there, my name's Simon Drew and welcome to The Practical Stoic Podcast. One of the reasons why I feel so fortunate that I get to do this show is because of the relationships that I get to build with just incredible people from around the world, whether it's, uh, you know, with my clients, whether it's uh, people who come on the show, whether it's people who are, you know, listening to the show as well or supporting me on Patreon, you know, you're all people who are searching for specific answers in life. And, and, and I absolutely love it. And the relationships that I've built so far have just been absolutely beautiful. And, you know, this guest that we have on today is no exception. His name's Peter Bell, uh, and he's a, a coach or a consultant from uh, Brisbane, which is very close to where I live. And uh, I'm just so fortunate that he reached out to me and, and said, hey, man, let's have a conversation sometime. And we, we sat down over, over coffee in Mooloolaba here and uh, just built a beautiful relationship and a great rapport straight from the start. And I said, man, you've got to come on the show. You've got to talk to my audience because the things that you're talking about are just incredibly valuable. So I'm so glad that he's on uh, for today's episode. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about him uh, before we jump into the episode. And just know that you've got links in the show notes to where you can find everywhere that Pete is at as well. So Pete Bell is the owner of Aurelius, a management consulting firm focused on adding maximum value to businesses and people below the surface so that they can shine above it. The people strategies and frameworks applied by Aurelius to assist people in their specific growth journey often have links back to philosophies that have stood the test of time, like Stoicism. Pete also looks to practically apply the learnings of such philosophies to his own life. He's also a proud father, he's a husband, and he's passionate about supporting community initiatives that break down the stigma associated with mental, or as he calls it, brain health, and provide shelter for the disadvantaged. So, uh, Pete is such a great guy. I'm so excited to have him on the show, and I know that you're going to get so much out of this conversation. So, uh, without any further ado, I present to you, Pete Bell. Okay, so we are here with none other than Pete Bell. Now, Pete, uh, for everybody to have a bit of context, I just want to want to let everybody know. You know, about a month ago, can't really confirm that. I can't. I, I have no perception of time at the moment. <laughs> now, now, that I'm, now that I don't have a, a strict schedule every day, but um, you know, about a month ago, you kind of reached out to me um, and said, "Hey, listen, uh, I'm I'm also kind of like a stoic coach," you might say. Uh, from Brisbane, yeah. uh, live close by, but I'm coming up to see a client on the Sunshine Coast. And uh, you kind of let me know, hey, do you want to catch up and, and have a conversation? And um, I was all for it. And, you know, so you came to my hometown, Malulaba, we sat down and, uh, man, I've got to say, like, I was, I was really um, firstly touched that you would reach out to me and ask to catch up. And after that conversation, I feel like we've made lifelong friends here. It's just, it was such a beautiful Absolutely. time to sit with you by the beach and just, you know, think about all these great ideas that we learn in Stoicism and learning from other philosophies as well. And um, I was thrilled to have the conversation. And not only that, uh, you know, after that, looking back on it, it was um, it was just a really great, uh, 
great time to spend with each other and, and learn more about what you do and what I do. And um, so I kind of just said, let's do this. Let's get you on the podcast. Um, you know, I think you've got 100%. a lot of great things that you can bring to us. And so I'll let you introduce yourself to the audience and then we'll just have our own little selfish conversation here about all the things that we want to talk about. No, that'd be great. Well, thanks for the opportunity. Firstly, Simon, it was, um, yeah, you covered and gave the context perfectly well. I think I was listening to a lot of stoic podcasts um, and came across yours on Spotify. And, and when I heard an Australian accent, I was blown away. And then when I did some more research, to find out you're on the Sunshine Coast, I was even more uh, excited. So I just had to come and meet with you. And, yeah, I think we could have sat there on Mooloola Bar and probably spoke for, for a very long time, much longer than we did, um, yeah. which was fantastic. And, and, and certainly since then, I've been uh, listening to all your podcasts, watching all your videos. And, yeah, it's, it's been extremely insightful for me. Um, Obviously, I am a coach, uh, probably similar to yourself, more along the lines of, I think you term it perfectly in a sense of an alignment coach. Uh, probably probably see myself a little bit similar to that. Um, and then just, you know, the things that you touch on with stoicism and, and philosophy really do strike a chord for me. And they've also struck a real chord with my clients, I suppose, coaches, we all sort of you know, have a particular type of person we would attract or a human and certainly the stoicism and the more philosophical ways of thinking are definitely something that helps me coach my clients and it's also helped coach me. I mean, I get a lot of people say to you, Pete, who do you use for a coach? And I have to be honest, it's looking at your stuff and stuff from some other people, but especially the way you look at things from a philosophical perspective gives gives me a real real balance to my own life as well so i'm greatly appreciative for that and it's great to be here and have a chat um i, I appreciate that coach. <laughs> <laughs> i haven't always been a coach that's for sure uh it's it's a new journey um probably coaching in context of some management consulting style work it's sort of research strategy and people combined uh the people side of it is definitely something I suppose that I see is more of a purposeful journey in my career. Uh, and it's certainly one that I thoroughly enjoy. Um, you know, you can see it through relationships with people like yourself. There's a real abundance mentality, despite what we do is slightly similar. It certainly doesn't stop anyone from wanting to catch up and help each other, which I think is just wonderful. Yeah, of course. And, and can, can you speak to, this would be a really interesting discussion. Uh, can you speak to why you decided that it would be important for you to get into coaching? Because for a lot of people out there, um, man, even myself included, I freaking hate coaches because all you see on Facebook all day is, Oh man, I've got the answers for you. I'm going to make your life the bet. Like, man, it's just, it's so tiring. And sometimes I seriously think like, Hey, is this whole coach scene just a whole bunch of coaches coaching other coaches to be coaches so that they can coach other coaches? Like, do you see what I mean? Like, is, is this all that this is? There's, there's so much, so much filth out there in, in, in the coaching industry with people who are just absolute hucksters. Right. Um, but, but you know, I know that you don't come from that angle and, and mm. you can tell as soon as you meet a person like yourself, 
uh, you can tell that you're in this for the people you're in this uh, because it's a meaningful pursuit for me, just like I would see it for me. Um, so can you tell me like, how did you first decide to get into coaching? What was that decision? Yeah, absolutely. And I kind of definitely tripped across it. That's for sure. Um, mm. I think it was a quote you said to me, I'm not sure if it was from Epictetus or Seneca, but it's, I think it was along the lines of it's sort of one patient talking to another patient yeah. in a lot of regards, which, which really struck a chord with me, especially on the journey that I've been on to getting into the coaching space. I guess being a quieter type of individual, um, very empathetic um, on the sensitive side of the world, um, I've always had people drawn to me, which baffled me in a lot of ways because I'm everything that a typical, atypical coach is not in that regard. I probably lack self-confidence in times. I guess I was in denial of that for a long time and it probably was was not until I sort of more in my um, later years started to appreciate the position that I was blessed to have in that regard and that people actually came to me because I was never someone who gave others advice. I would simply listen, ask questions and help them really come to their own decisions and frame what it is that they wanted to do. And I guess I'd never really researched what a coach was in that regard. So when I sort of worked out, I wanted to go more on this journey. Um, I'd had a successful career as a, as a property analyst uh, and, you know, that, that was great, but it was just not seeing me jump out of bed anymore um, with the purpose that it once did. I looked more into coaching and I kind of found in its most purest form was something that I was probably had been doing all along just without mm. understanding it. And it's quite, it's quite interesting now. You can sort of see, you know, when I, when I say to people that I started doing coaching and they're very much all, they, when they don't understand um, what it means in its purest form, you can see that they're quite baffled. Um, but I, I think that it's just purely it has to do with, you know, being the authentic version of yourself. I often talk about, um, you know, being a human um, as opposed to being a person in a sense that, human conversations are, are warts and all. And I find that the world we're in now, there will always be, you know, a percentage of people that don't necessarily want to have those conversations. They want to wear masks and they want to wear armor. But I tell you what, there's definitely a lot of other people out there. It's a, a big amount of people who really do want to be coached by someone who is real, um, is very vulnerable about their challenges um, what they're still being challenged with every day because we're all in this together. Um, no one has this thing called life sorted out perfectly and the journey is just going through that together. So that's uh, a little bit of how I got there. I did have a uh, existential crisis along the way, which probably sped up the journey into coaching. Um, my management consulting business is called Aurelius. Uh, and that was really from a very surface level view of stoicism. But I kind of looked at the, the crisis that I went through and said, well, what would a stoic do here? You know, I could, I could spend the next two to five years feeling sorry for myself, watching TV, not knowing what I wanted to do with my life, um, playing a victim sort of mentality, but it's never going to be me. And I said, well, you know, that, that, uh, that crisis, you know, 
I don't like to call it a breakdown. I call it the breakthrough now, um, which is classic reframing. Mm. That kind of brought the coaching journey forward in a lot of ways. And it even surprised me in a sense that it comes back to that human element again, that that's, that's what people relate to. That's what they can build rapport with. That's what delivers trust very quickly. And I typically tend to, to lead with that story when I'm building rapport with people that I coach because it's sort of that defining moment where they either go, you know what, I love that, or they go, you know what, that's not what I want. Um, and either, either way, the outcome is great for me. I'm neutral to it, right? Um, nothing's ever yeah. positive or negative, it just is. So, yeah, it definitely, the, the existential uh, moment or the breakthrough brought my journey forward um, into coaching because I actually found that that was where people sort of started to relate to me a lot faster. Um, and also, sent me on more of the, the philosophical journey um, for obvious mm. reasons to try and to try and help myself through that process um, and along that journey learn a few a lot of things that I could share with other people as well I think I think what you said there is so impo- important that th- this idea that we are actually drawn to people who are able to show you their more authentic side of who they really are right mm. and that's that's at the core of why I said that there's so much filth in the coaching industry at the moment, because there's a lot of people out there pretending to be perfect. There's a lot of people getting pictures in front of Maseratis that they've just rented for the day. Right. And, uh, and at the end of the day, man, if, 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 if you want to get advice from somebody who claims to be perfect or who claims to have every single answer, that's fine, but that person doesn't exist. So you're telling yourself a lie, right? That it, there is no person on earth who has all of these answers figured out, um, you know, unless you're getting advice from some sort of God Buddha figure or something like that. But, um, but you, you know, I think, I think it was put really well in an analogy that, uh, that I heard from a musician here in Australia called James Morrison. He kind of put it like this. He said, when he's kind of mentoring younger musicians, he says, it's kind of like being in a train and James, he would be in maybe the first or second carriage. And maybe the kid who is mentoring is in like the third or fourth carriage. Now, if you look straight out the window, James can see something that the kid in third or fourth carriage cannot see yet. Right. And because he's thinking about these ideas, he's becoming the best musician he can be. He can see a few things that they might not be able to perceive yet. And so, all he's doing is just calling from the front of the train right to the back saying, Hey, this is what you can expect. You know, like that's, that's all it is. They're, they're both on the same train. They're both going through the same journey, right? Going to the same destination. Uh, but you know, one of them might just be a little bit further ahead in terms of thinking about these ideas. And yeah. man, I, I would love it if you'd consider sharing kind of your, your, you might call it your epiphany moment or that, that experience that you had that kind of led you to, uh, you know, really seeing this as the path that was necessary for you. If you don't feel comfortable doing that, that's no, fine. No. But no, no, I'm absolutely, uh, absolutely comfortable and vulnerable on that uh, journey yeah. these days. And I'll, I'll go on to explain why. In a lot of ways, I do have a lot more uh, strength of character to talk about those sort of things as well. Mm. Um, yeah, definitely. I, yeah, the, the the train of thought of the the obstacle is the way. Um, certainly helped me in that regard. I suppose I talk about the shadow a lot um, and can be a shadowy concept to a lot of people. Everyone probably has their own little interpretation of 
you know, uh, the shadow and, and what it means to them. But I guess in its purest form, if there's, you know, a good side, there's a bad side. If, if there's yin, there's yang, et cetera, et cetera. I, I'd probably found, and this is only hindsight that I can talk about this now, I certainly wasn't evolved enough to understand it as I was going through the journey. Uh, but I look back now and it does make a lot of sense. You know, I've, I've had, uh, I call it a brain illness, same thing as, as a mental illness. I just make that differentiation between brain and mental because I find for people who have possibly never been through it, they can understand the physical element of the body and therefore they can relate to it better, like someone has a broken leg, broken arm, etc. That's brilliant. I, um, yeah, it, it, it really does help others to show empathy because it's not an easy thing to grasp if you've never been through some of those challenges yourself, I suppose. Um, so I'd, uh, my brain illness was obsessive compulsive disorder. I was only diagnosed through when the, I had my existential crisis, the, the breakthrough moment, which is an interesting, interesting story in itself. How long, it, how, how, why I didn't get diagnosed on my journey. Um, but that created in me, I guess, a, a shadow side of my persona where, you know, I remember as a child and, and my parents were exceptional um, in, in bringing me up, like to be where I am now, I wouldn't be here without what they have done for me. So it's important I put that on the record. Um, but they used to try, you know, try everything for me when I was young, take me around to see different doctors. You've got to remember, no one was advanced, as advanced where we are now with uh, mental health, mental illness, and all those things, and it's where we're at now in society is fantastic compared we compared to where we would have been in you know, the early 1980s when I was a child. Um, but I suppose I looked at it and I could see all the other children were, you know, kicking footballs after school or doing things that children shouldn't, and I spent a lot of time being taken uh, from doctor to doctor. Um, and it was a great thing that my parents did to assist me. Um, that probably created a shadow in, in my life now that I look back at it. And I guess for 38 years, I very much all tried to hide that part of me. Um, and how I hid that was I would never want anyone to see that I had those battles in my head or my brain because I perceived it as weakness. So was my own internal perception of that firstly that is wrong because as we've worked out now some of the most courageous people the most courageous battles that get had in society are people that have battles with brain illness or mental illness but my perception was I never wanted anyone to find that out about me so therefore I'd engage in well project probably is a better word a type of behavior that was really counterintuitive to the, the sensitive, calm, kind soul that I was. So the best example I could give is I, I would tend to try and associate myself with not risky activity, but I, I had a tendency to want to overachieve, um, take on too, too many things, um, I would look at, I guess, what you would call sort of more of the, the dominant personality types are stronger personalities and I'd always try and align myself with them purely 
A, because they were a yin to my yang at the end of the day. And secretly, I, I was probably projecting that I wanted to be that, I suppose, in some ways, mm. because I was so afraid of it ever coming out um, that I did have these battles. And I don't know if you, have you ever done any work around Enneagrams or tests like that? I haven't actually. No, you got to explain that to me. Yeah, so it's something I take my coaching clients through not everyone because yeah. uh, it is a little bit deep and it can be a bit complex but it assists people to kind of understand what their shadow might be um, mm. and for me some of some of your listeners will resonate with this I, i'm a type six which is a really um a warrior uh, at, at their core not very um self uh, will seek a lot of opinions from others i suppose um, before mm. making decisions, highly anxious about everything in the world, which is why stoicism has helped me so much to focus on what I can and can't control. But but my patterns, subconscious behavior, shadow comes through in a classic sense in an Enneagram that when I'm calm, I go from a type six to a type nine, which is a peacemaker. So um, the best of a peacemaker is exactly what you would expect it to be and exactly what the majority of people I've engaged with my life expect out of me. When I try and hide my shadow um, or project behavior, I go to the, the worst part of a three. Now a three is an achiever. So I become extremely competitive um, and really quite nasty in a sense that it, it can be almost become a win at all cost kind of mentality, mm. which is so foreign for me as a person. And from a leadership perspective, um, I can look back now and say that's where the majority of my shortcomings have been as a leader by not integrating that shadow into the person that I am and therefore projecting a lot of that behavior onto others. And it brings out a terrible side of me. I often joke about it and call myself gears now that I look back at it because I could go from first to overdrive at, at the drop of a hat and it actually mm. scares people. Um, not in the sense that they feel threatened or anything like that, but it's just really inauthentic behavior that people, it's not consistent for who I am. So that's a little bit about um, uh, the shadow. And then, you know, uh, where I'm at now, I've, I've accepted that part of me. Uh, I, don't, I don't see it as weakness anymore. I have my battles every day, um, but who doesn't? You know, I have to work hard on reframing things in my head that, um, you know, being owning this journey is, is a really courageous decision to make. Um, I've had to evolve a lot, right? And I know for sure that there was people that would probably look at me now and just not understand that evolution. Um, and I also understand that because... A lot of humans are comfortable with knowing you as you were. Um, and a lot of times as you evolve, you can actually challenge things in them about their shadow or things that they fully haven't integrated into their life yet that they're not ready to, to deal with. And that's, that's fine. But I certainly know now um, after 38 years, I, I kind of feel like I've started again. I look at my life almost in two halves. And I couldn't have a better life. Got a beautiful wife, a beautiful child. Um, yeah, I'm educated, great family. I, I want for nothing. Um, 
but I do have to accept that I do have a brain illness and I have to take medication to keep that under control. That's just the responsibility that I have to take. Uh, I don't drink much anymore. I try and tick off all the one percenters to give me the best chance. And now that I've integrated that shadow, uh, I don't, I don't feel as angry. I don't feel as competitive. I don't feel like I have to prove anything to the world. I can just be, and I feel coaching allows me to just be. Um, mm. I love the fact that I can, you know, get out of that real internalized focus environment that I can drift off into at times um, with with a brain illness, and it, and it enables me to be more outwardly focused. Um, and I find that it's really calming for my anxiety and all those sort of things as well, being more focused on others as opposed to myself. Yeah. So it ticks many boxes. Man, that's awesome. I really appreciate you sharing all that. You know, it's just, it's, I know that people listening to this will feel the same. It is really, it's, it's a breath of fresh air to hear people talking about the things that they've struggled with. Right. Mm-hmm. Because I mean, firstly, like you don't hear it that often. Um, and also I, I really think that when, when you go to a coach, you want somebody who has experienced life, who has experienced, uh, you know, their, their own troubles, their own things that they've had to work through because you know that that person has had to overcome something. That person has had to really think about life in order to make it effective for themselves. And, and, and I really see that you've, you've done that right. And, and now that you're in this position where you've kind of overcome a lot of those, uh, those troubles or even, you know, are dealing with them effectively. What, how do you think this relates to the idea of a more fatty, right? This idea of love your fate. Cause that essentially is what the Stoics would call your fate. That's just the yeah. cards that you were dealt, right? How do you look back at it now? Um, and do you, do you think that it has, been something that you now look upon with uh with with deep gratitude that it has happened like this yeah absolutely um simply wouldn't be the individual i am today without that journey and once again you know from a shadow perspective um what i've read about it from a psychological perspective when you do integrate it you fully start to get the benefit of what that shadow has given you. Now, I think in that regard, it's always helped me um, from a professional context with regards to intuition. So the ability to read markets and also to read human behavior. So I don't read markets as much anymore for obvious reasons, because that can sort of um, send the brain into a pattern, especially from an OCD perspective. And it's, I suppose a lot of, a lot of people will probably give up on trying to solve a problem where I, I become obsessed about that problem and I simply mm. won't stop until I solve it, which is unhealthy behavior for me. But I'm also very intuitive in being able to read other humans, which helps me a lot with coaching and also to show empathy. You know, it's my frame of the world is only my frame, which is different to your frame, which is different to every other individual that exists. And I guess having those battles um, and having to, you know, failure is a terrible word because I, I haven't failed because I'm still here right now having this conversation with you and on a much better journey. Yeah, but I've had to shoulder my fair share of falls from grace. But they're the best things that ever happened to me because 
you know, there's no other, there's no human that can come to me that I'm ever going to, well, I hope not, um, judge or think less of because, you know, we're, we're, we've all got something. And if we're not, if we haven't experienced yet, it is coming. And that's, that's why humility is such a great trait as well, because, you know, if you start from a position of humility, there's nothing that can come along that can really flatten you because your ego just doesn't exist to start with. Mm. If, you put, if, you, if you can put that in the top drawer, well, you know, we've all got an ego to an extent, but if you can control it uh, and, and balance it out as best as possible, there's not really anything that can flatten you too, too bad. It's coming your way that you, that you haven't dealt with in the past, which is a, another classic stoic way of thinking, isn't it? That the, whatever the future is going to deliver, you'll deal with it the same way as you've dealt with things in your life to this point. Yeah. Um, so yeah, mate, it, it, it's an absolute, I have, I would not change, change one thing. You know, I sometimes sit here and go at the age of 38 would it have been better, you know, if it happened at the age of 28, but I, I simply wasn't ready. I, I was still, you know, you think about Icarus and the sun, I, I still was charging headfirst into that sun just to prove to whoever it was, mainly myself. Um, so I didn't have to, you know, take the armour off and disclose that, yeah, I, I do have some shortcomings in my brain um, and, you know, for, for whatever reason, some portion, proportion, some portions of society will frame that as, as a weakness. That's certainly changing now. Um, so at 28, you know, I, I had to fly head first into the sun a few more times. And um, by the age of 38, I, I found the centre and, uh, yeah, I, I'm not going back there again. <laughs> yeah. I have to prove now. So, yeah, it definitely helps me, mate. It's, it's, uh, it, it, it's a blessing like everything that happens to us in life. You've, you've got to get to a point where you can reframe that and see it from a different perspective or you will get stuck very quickly. Hmm. Yeah, and, and, you know, what I'm hearing from you there is it's another one of these powerful ideas found in Stoicism, you know, or just when you just become a student of philosophy and a student of life, it's that you start to see, see your past not with regret, not with anything other than an understanding and a, a desire to learn and grow from it, right? Yeah. So, like, you know, thing, things are going to happen to you, but if, if, if you're going to sit there and, and be unhappy about what has happened in the past, I mean, it doesn't exist anymore. All you have is right now. And by spending time thinking about that in a way that is unhelpful, uh, you're literally cursing everything that you have right now, every ability that you have right now to move forward. Right. Like, do you, do you see, uh, have you ever dealt with clients who, who come to you and are really struggling to kind of get over that, that past that they've had or do they struggle to get through that without, you know, descending into madness? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, there's, there's a number of processes or frameworks you can work through and everyone's going to be different. But the first one I'll always work on is, is reframing. Like typically mm. it's the story that people have told themselves about yeah. an event or they simply haven't, you know, had the blessing to go and see psychologists in the past or, or have people talk to them about their childhood, because usually that's where it all comes back from, you know, and, and when you have those conversations with people, you'll find that maybe they're in class one day at the age of eight and they put up their hand to, to answer a question and 
they gave their answer and the teacher either said, oh, you're, you know, that's wrong or you're silly or something like that. And the rest of the classmates laughed at them. You know, those people can go through life from that point with a, with a belief system that says, I'm not going to talk in front of anyone because I'm just going to be shut down. Well, it's very powerful stuff. Those people often have challenges with public speaking. The actual, you know, physical behaviour of just being a communicator of a message, they can't even get to that point. Their amygdala hijack is just off the charts. As soon as they hear the word, oh, you might have to public speak, they're gone straight into fight or flight. And a lot of it is because of that um, subconscious of, of what happened you know, as, as a child at a young age. So you kind of unpack a little bit of that as best as you can without being a trained psychologist, obviously. But you just ask questions like, are you going to let the rest of your you know, potential growth or your ability to become the best version yourself rest in the hands of one teacher at the age of eight? And, and you try and get them thinking about things like that. Uh, a lot of a, a reframe, like you'll meet people that say, you know, especially from a professional regard, or I didn't go to university, therefore I feel, you know, inferior to the rest of my colleagues. I'd very much will work with them around a renegade mentality, which is, you know what, you're actually bring something different uh, to your colleagues in a sense that, your resilience is phenomenal because you didn't go to university, but you've still made it to the same point as them. Like what you're viewing is your story is a position of weakness. It's actually your strength. Mm. So there's a lot of things that, that you can do in that regard. Um, you know, simple things like, you know, there's only three states you can, you can really, you can't be in three states at one time in a physical sense. So, you can't be, you know, Sunshine Coast, Gold Coast and Brisbane at the same time, the same way you can't be in the past, present and future. So if you're going to choose one state to be in, it's present, right? And if you're going to let yourself go into the either of the other two, you're probably more productive to go to the future, but only go there for about five seconds and pull yourself straight back again to yeah. the present. Things like that. Neutral mindset um, is something that, I'm probably on a little bit of a journey myself at the moment as well. Uh, a guy called Trevor Moad from, um, from the States, famous coach with a lot of sports people. Russell Wilson, who plays quarterback for the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, used to see him every week. He talks about a neutral mindset. And, and that really um, struck a chord with me because I guess I'd, I'd grown up for 38 years, you know, being told to be positive all the time. And I get that from a, from a um, brain perspective, absolutely. You know, yourself, um, positive affirmations and those sort of things. But the concept of high performance, and once again, there's another classic stoic quote, doesn't, doesn't come to me at the moment. I think it's Seneca Epictetus. You know, once, once you've prepared or, or mentally had a look at the battle that might be ahead of you, nothing can shock you with what comes. So that's not negative thinking. It's just being prepared for, for what might happen and then just focusing purely on the behavior. Mm. So positive mindset can set you up for some pretty significant downfalls. Um, and it, and it's, it's just not a productive mindset. Nothing negative is productive. So I always look at it with clients and say, you just can't be negative. There, there is no benefit 
but a neutral mindset is kind of like saying I've had it you know, five second look in the future. So it's not like I totally disregarded what might happen. So that when that does happen, I just focus purely on the behaviors that I need to do. The classic yeah. example, I, a classic example from a sporting analogy, I think was the, the New Zealand rugby team, the All Blacks. I think it was a 90, uh, 2007 World Cup, don't quote me. <laughs> but they're unbeatable, right? They sort of, their, their mind space was in such positive territory that they'd already won the William Webb Ellis Cup and they were turning up to the airport at Dunedin or whatever it was for a ticker tape parade. Now in the quarterfinals, France challenged them in that game to the point where All Blacks just had to kick a field goal, which is a behaviour that they would have practised X amount of times. They've got the best technical experts in the sporting um, arena in that team but what had happened is because they hadn't prepared mentally for anything but a positive outcome, right? So they weren't prepared that another team could actually challenge them, that when it happened, they all went into the equivalent of an amygdala hijack, right? And they didn't know what to do. Um, you, know, you might call it seeing red. There's a good book written about it, actually. And, you know, if you watch them now, some of their, well, Richard McCaw doesn't play anymore, a guy called Kieran Reed, but they've always got, little things that ground them back to reality. So they'll either stamp their feet or look up at the, uh, the grandstand. And that's just saying, stay in the present moment and just focus on the behavior. And Russell Wilson, the quarterback says it well, he says there's sort of, you know, pre past history. It doesn't always have to be a perfect uh, indicator of what's going to happen in this given moment. Mm. Just get back to executing the behavior like you've done so many times before and whatever turns up will turn up and you'll deal with it. So. Yeah. Man, that's awesome. That's, that's, you just dropped a whole bunch of value bombs on us. I'm trying to, trying to figure out where I should pick up because there were about five times there I wanted to be like, oh, let's talk about that more. But, <laughs> you know, that, that whole idea of jumping into the future just for five seconds or something, this is something that I tell people all the time, right? It's like, man, you want to go to the future, but you only want to go there for productive reasons, right? So yeah. that you can, maybe maybe it's like picking your destination. Cool, I've got a goal. Now come back to what I can control. Or, you know, hey, that rhymes. I should put that in something. Um, <laughs> or, you know, or it's like that kind of idea of, um, of like pre-meditation, right? Like, okay, what could go wrong? Cool, I know what could go wrong. Now I immediately come back to what I can do now to prevent it or to be better prepared for it. Yeah. And that's so important because people, man, people spend far too much time looking back at their past and looking into the future. Um, you know, even things like, like time hop on your phone, which gives you all your memories for the past. That's great. You want you know, you look back at your memories, you look back and you think, Oh, that was a beautiful time. It's so good to remember this, but man, some people spend all their time on it. Right. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like all they're ever doing is just looking into the past, right? And, and experiencing the past. And if that's what you're doing, you're literally just, you're just living a time loop your whole life Absolutely. Of, of what's happened, what's happened. And I also wanted to discuss this idea that you said of, uh, of reframing, because this is, this is such a great combination. The idea of, you can't really reframe your situation unless you have questions, right? That's the way that we really make massive change in our lives. And that's, I mean, the foundation of any human progress is asking the right questions. 
And so many people out there are stuck in these ruts where they think that their life is one thing, but if they could just ask themselves one powerful question, it would completely change the way that they look at it. And I kind of look back to a time in my life when I was about to head onto a ship. I just got my very first cruise contract. You know, I was taking my band overseas and we're getting paid to play in a jazz club every single night. It's like the most unbelievable thing a a 21 year old could ever hope for who's aspiring to to do music. Right. And I was talking with one of my friends and I kind of said to her, I was like, uh, yeah, so one day when I'm, you know, one day when I make it, you know, I'll do and, and she kind of stopped me in the middle. She was like, what do you mean? Like, you're about to get paid <laughs> to go on the largest cruise ship in the world with your jazz quartet and play every single night. And in that other time that you have, you can go to the buffets, you can go to the gym, whatever you want to do, get off in the ports. Like, you've made it, right? And, and that was a moment for me where I was like, okay, that's the power of asking a good question because... I still had it in my head that there was somewhere else to be. And we all have it in our head, right? That there's somewhere else to be, but you can't be anywhere else unless you first accept where you are and understand how beautiful where you are is. Can you speak more to this idea of like, like questions and asking the right questions? Cause I know that you, you do that heaps with your clients, right? Just picking the right questions for them. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the biggest one, and the simplest one, and, and, and once again, it's I, I watched a, a video that you put out recently around, um, you know, first first work out or choose what, what it is you want to be and, and then be it, right? So I look at that from a human brain perspective and similar to, you know, the conscious mind sets the goal and the subconscious mind gets the goal. So if we're in control of the conscious part of our brain, you simply ask someone, what is it, what do you want? What, what, yeah. what are the three things you want to be or what do you want out of life? Now, I think a lot of people get stuck, guilty as charged, in the modern world because we have too many choices, right? And I often find this with um, myself as a parent or other parents I talk to, they often say, oh, I, I don't know how our parents did this. Like they had multiple more children. Now, I think they just had a lot greater level of certainty around what it is they had to do or what they wanted to be. And it Mm. kind of gives you that license to say, this is it. This is what I say yes to. And this is what I say no to. Now, a lot of people get stuck because let's use your, your example there. If you just continued for the rest of your life with your band to go on to those boats and play music and all those sort of things that's a fantastic life right but in the modern world we've got so many choices of opportunities a lot of people just forget just to go well what is it that that i want to do and want to be and stick to that i had a conversation with a mentor of mine recently after what i went through and he was sort of saying you know that was tough and i was like yeah well Everyone goes through something. It is what it is. And you know, he, he, he had a, a, a tough situation in his life where his uh, wife left him and, and he brought up the equivalent of seven children by himself. And I said, man, that must like, that's way tougher than what I went through. And he said, you know what? You would think so. But he said it was actually quite simple because mm-hmm. all I had to do was make sure that those kids got an education, make sure they had a roof over their head, 
and make sure that they were fed and nothing else mattered, right? He said it was actually quite a simple existence. Uh, simple is not always easy, of course. It was still a challenge. Um, but that just gave him a lot of clarity and it took away a lot of fear. I think a lot of people that come to get coached are stuck in ruts because they continually want something else. It's, it's that mm. future thing again. They're just not looking at the present with gratitude and saying, you know what? Like a lot of people say to me, or oh, since, since the, the breakthrough, oh, you look a lot happier. Are you happy? And I go, happy is an interesting word for me on a lot of fronts. Yeah. I, I say, you know what? If, if, you, if your reference of the world is happiness and if, if you think a reference of me is me being happy, well, yes, I'm very happy. But the reality is I became happy when I stopped chasing happiness because I had it. It's, yeah. it's, not, it's not a future concept. Uh, so big questions I'll always ask is if you don't know what it is you want to be, let's work on your values, Okay. And then once we've got those, we can work on some of these belief patterns that you've got that are probably outdated. Um, they, they've served you well in your younger years and got you to a point in life. It's a classic concept of what, what got you here is not going to get you there. Um, yeah. You know, you're a fit guy. You, un you understand sports. It's a similar thing that a lot of sports coaches have to do. They just have to go back across an athlete's um, stroke or style pull it right back to its basics and just make one little incremental change because it's the build-up. It's a build-up on those patterns we've had since children and, and we, we just take them with us and we never stop and actually question them. Um, yeah. And you can change your belief quite quickly, I believe. I've had to. Um, I haven't changed my values. I certainly believe I wasn't behaving uh, in line with my values at all times and not in a untoward manner more just in a sense that when i get to a, a choice point around a decision i would probably at times be selfish and put myself ahead of my family or put my work ahead of my family and you can justify that any way you want you know any human can say well going to work to earn money is in the best interest of my family of course it is um, but like anything and that's why you know when you talk about alignment coaching i don't think there's a there's a better way to sum up a good coach because that's perfectly what it is. If you want to outperform in one area of your life, you're going to underperform in another because yeah. uh, energy and willpower and all these things, they're a finite resource. So mm. you got to really make choices about, about where you're going to allocate them. Um, that's another basic kind of framework I work through with people in two regards. One is who's renting space in your head. Um, and you know, if someone's renting 50, 50% of your headspace, but only contributing 20% productivity to your life, there's no alignment there. Let's think about that. Or if you design your perfect life, hundred percent of that energy allocation, you might give, you know, 30% to your family. Well, why only you want to give 30% in the perfect world? Why are you only at the 10%? What are the behaviors there that are stopping you? What are the triggers? What are the enablers? So that's getting to that core of the, the subconscious, I suppose, where, you know, we will do everything within our power to railroad ourselves. That's just 
human nature. So how do we put those mechanisms in place to stop that happening? But you can't have that if you can't even consciously sit there and work out what it is you want to be. Um, mm. And once again, that'll get back to my empathetic side. I'm not a heavily, not a heavy accountability coach in that regard because I understand humans have a, a raft of things going on, range of experience, etc. So I can kind of work through with people an excuse is not the right word, but there are genuine reasons sometimes for why things happen the way they do. And at a subconscious level, I can certainly tolerate more of that, more of that than I can at a conscious level. So I certainly know that now my frame of the world is best be the best husband you can and be the best parent you can. And, and, and that's my conscious um, certainty of what I do. And it's taken away a lot of fear yeah. It uh, makes my decision-making framework a hell of a lot easier. Mm. But a lot of people, you, you put that big question on them straight away and they're just like, oh, I don't know. Yeah. And it's like, well, that's why you're seeing me. <laughs> well, that, that, <laughs> that's out. kind of the, that, that's kind of the, um, I don't, don't, don't quite know how to say this. It's, 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 it's one of the big problems that we face in our modern society. It's, it's the problem of choice, right? Like there is so much that we have to choose from, but that choice leads to so many potential desires, right? And something that I, I had this conversation with one of my clients this morning, it was really interesting. I, we basically came to the conclusion that pain comes from a place of having too many desires, right? So if you, if you I think that one of the things that the Stoics wanted for us was for us to only desire one thing and that is a sound mind and, yeah. and you know, like a, a sound reasoning capacity so that you can make the best judgments about your life. Cause if you've got that, then you've got everything right. Yeah. And if you just desire that, then anything that's outside of you isn't necessarily a desire. It's just something that happens and you can respond yeah. to it, but you don't desire to be anywhere else other than where you are and with your own mind. Right. And so being in pain is in some ways a desire to be somewhere that you're not. And, and so if you have a billion desires, a billion opportunities to think about things that you want, then there's a billion ways that you could feel pain, right? Because you won't <laughs> achieve that. Yeah. And so if you can narrow your desires down to that one little thing, I just want to be able to think clearly and make the right decisions, man, like that, that'll take away so much pain. And, and as well as that, stop chasing this idea of happiness. I really don't think that I, I, th I don't think that the Stoics necessarily taught that, that it was about being specifically happy. That's why they use the word eudaimonia, right? Which, which doesn't translate to happiness. It translates to kind of flourishing is what we can best understand it as. And flourishing isn't necessarily happiness. You can still be flourishing in the midst of a, of a, of a crazy storm of life, right? You can still be flourishing and happy with where you are, or, or at least, you know, like satisfied with where you are. But yeah, Peter, Peter I had this conversation with, with my granny once because she, she grew up obviously during the wartime, you know, she, she remembers being bunkered down in the home, having to live off, uh, you know, rations that they grew on their farm and, um, you know, very uncertain times, but, um, 
you know, I kind of said to her, like, she's, she's a hardball woman, right? Like she, you know, she raised nine kids, um, you know, her, her husband died um, and she had to actually raise the rest of the kids on her own. And I kind of said to her, like, you come from a generation where you were forced into a meaning, right? Her meaning mm-hmm. was first to get through the war and not die, uh, to yep. take care of her family to the best of the, her abilities, um, to raise nine, you know, great kids. And she did the best job of that that she, anyone could have done. Like if you take a look at, you know, my, my uncles and my aunties and my, my mom and dad, like, or my mom, you know, like, it's like, Oh my gosh, she couldn't have done a better job as a single mom raising all these kids. Cause she was forced into a meaning. She didn't have a yeah. choice. That was her duty. Right. Yeah. And now we live in a time where everybody has this infinite abundant choice and we think that that's actually the best thing for us. And in a way it is, it's so freeing. It allows us to chase the things that we want, but sometimes you've just got to say, this is what I'm doing. Forget the rest, like forget yeah. it. Cause, cause it's not good for me. Right. Um, and I, I think you make a really great point there that that's, that's what really uh, affects us in a negative way. It's this, it's this, this choice that we have, and we just don't know how to narrow it down. We just don't know. And I think the no. Stoics went a long way to dis- discovering how we could do that. Right. Absolutely. And, and, and in something that I'm far more in tune with now that I never was because I was, you know, at, at the height of my um, downfall, the world's worst offender is the concept of busyness, but you're busy being nowhere, doing nothing. You're trying to be all things to all people. You're chasing after all these choices that you've got, but you're actually incredibly ineffective or non-productive on that journey or process. And once again, a lot of my coaching clients, probably 95% of them, you know, we're not, we're not typically working on what they need to say yes to we're working on what they need to say no to, especially from a business strategy perspective. You know, they come up with all these great concepts and they think, oh, if I, if I go and do this, I'll earn greater revenue or greater profit. And, you know, the alignment conversation comes in and that's great, but you've listed family as your number one priority. Tell me how that is going to benefit your family and tell me how that's in your, in your core business. Like, you know, Prado's principle, 80-20, you know, 80% of sticking to your knitting is your business. Happy for you to play at the margins up to about 20%. But outside of that, you're, you're, you're just, you might as well be chasing pots of gold at the end of the rainbow. Um, mm. And there's and always all, another pot of gold at the end of a rainbow. There is, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the whole point. And also just, um, yeah, very much all about growth not being that, linear pro- progress it's the alan watts type of uh, of thinking again life is so messy and unpredictable and you know it's almost a fallacy of the mind to think that growth comes in in a linear or predictable manner because it, it simply can't hmm. but yeah. busyness is that you know if, if you say to people to grow, you need to get comfortable being uncomfortable. The sad indictment on the modern world is that most people's uncomfortable is slowing down. 
mm. not, not speeding up anymore. They're actually very comfortable being consistently busy. Now, whether that brings an element of self-worth or self-achievement or whatever it is, or if it's just a pattern of behavior, but to slow a human down to do self-work or really look in the mirror um, and do some, some serious self, self-awareness assessment, look at patterns, um, subconscious behaviors, what got you here won't get you there, that type of thing. Uh, it's, it's, it's hard work and it, it can't happen at, at pace. Busyness or speed does not assist that type of hard work. Yeah. Uh, very interesting. And that can, that can sometimes be the value in, in having some sort of, uh, you know, this is not necessarily a plug to tell people to get coaching, but having somebody there as some form of whether it's a mentor or whether it's a friend who, you know, who you just, you have an accountability friend and you both decide that you're going to meet up every week and discuss important things, you know, and, and discuss important aspects of life or, you know, you know, just having some way of forcing yourself to sit for an hour, sit for a couple of hours and talk about what's really important. Like, like how do you make decisions? How are you going to live your life? What do you want? What don't you want? Which is equally important. And I think that at the core of it, I've, I've been putting together this page on my website, just giving people a really clear overview of what stoicism is from my perspective. Cause I know that it's not going to be perfect at all, but it's my perspective. And so hopefully yeah. people will get value out of that. But I really think that the Stoics came, I think you can sum up Stoicism in three really powerful questions that, that you can get from the way that they taught. Right. And it aligns with the Stoic disciplines of physics, ethics, and logic. I think the first major question that they asked was, uh, you know, what is all of this that we're seeing uh, and what is my place within it, right? Because obviously we experience so much and that's very strange, right? We live in this really chaotic, weird world where we're constantly pushing against something, but we know that if we let up, then it's going to push back against us. And there's all sorts of weird things to understand and understand our place within the universe. So that's kind of the physics question. Like, what is this? What does it mean? And then the second question to do with ethics is, okay, now that I know what all of this is, how should I act in accordance with that? Like, what does that mean about the way that I should live my life? And then the last question to do with logic is, now that I know what all of this is and how I should live my life because of what all this is, uh, how do I even know that I'm right? Right? You're like, it's, mm. it's like, like, so you've got to have those three kind of questions. And I think you can really you can and you should ask those sorts of questions in your life as well. Like, what is all this? What does it mean for me? How should I act that would put me in the best position in all of this? And then, you know, how do I even know that I'm right? And, and philosophy and questions and, and mentoring and speaking to other people about these important questions. This is how we essentially come to the understanding of how we know if we're right or not, right. Or, or how we should act. That's why it's so important to have these discussions. And I'm so grateful that there were so many people before us who did all of the really hard thinking for us. And all we have to do is man, pick up a book or, or have a conversation or, um, or go see a documentary. This might be a good segue here. Um, cause we've both been listening to a lot of Alan Watts lately. Right. 
Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> what, what's, what's been your experience listening to a lot of his stuff and seeing the documentary that you saw? And like, ha, do you think that it's seeping into your understanding of Stoicism as well? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think there is definite connections there. And, uh, and, and you, you, you can articulate this far more eloquently than me, but it's that conversation we had um, at Malulabar that day where you're sort of saying the more you read about different areas, whether it you know, be religion or different philosophies, you see all these linkages and you see similar types of learnings turning up in different you know, stories, parables, quotes, whatever it it might be. So yeah, there's definitely um, some core elements from his teachings that resonate strongly with me, and it's predominantly around that concept of humans being a part of nature is is the big one, being part of a broader system, instead of once again we're blessed and cursed at the same time to have a uh, prefrontal cortex so we kind of think that our intellectual prowess means that we sit um, almost in a, in a different a different part part of the system to everything that surrounds us which is definitely not um, not accurate and that's something that's helped me go from someone that's been so focused on trying to control my environment, not in the sense of being a control freak. Like I, I've got, I've never had any interest in controlling other people. That's why I'm not such a great, you know, hard nosed accountability coach, but I've always tried to protect myself from unforeseen events from a safety perspective. It's an Enneagram six thing once again, and it's a fallacy of the mind that you will make yourself, you'll be far worse off by spending time, trying to predict, um, mitigate risk, look for safe ways in a future that is 100% unpredictable, like absolute mm. fallacy. You'll end up far sicker trying to do that than you will by what's coming your way in the future anyway. So that's really helped me um, just to realise that this journey that you're on or this concept that you have zero, zero control really of, of the system and there's things in that system that have existed for so much longer than we have and will continue to exist probably for so much longer than us. And it really helps ground me and bring me back to a reality uh, of the present moment that whatever it is may be consuming my thoughts at that time. Um, you know, it's that concept of, I don't know if it's, if it's either the best day or the worst day in, in your life when you realise you're not as important as you think you are because... You're not at the end of the day. You're one little speck in a bigger system. Uh, you play an important part of how that system evolves. But, but that's, that's really it. And it actually gives me a big sense of comfort. And it's controlled my anxiety. It's controlled my worries. Some people look at it and think, oh, it's a bit of a morbid way of thinking. But that's a very surface level way of looking at it. And it, it's, it's a stoicism thing once again. Like death is a certainty, right? You can't avoid it. And the moment that you accept that is the moment that you will actually start living, right? Mm. Um, so I, I love Alan Watts. Um, I also love the fact the way he, he's very upfront. Well, he has been in, in his lectures anyway about saying he, he's, he's not here to tell people how, how to live or, you know, what they need to do or to be a Zen Buddhist or whatever it is. He's just trying to, I think he says he's an entertainer, which he probably was in a lot of a lot of ways. 
um, to provide a different perspective. And that's why I see coaching in a lot of ways as well. Um, I don't have the answers. I never will. No one ever will. Um, yeah. But certainly you can, you can work very hard um, and, and make some choices to, to find out more um, and, and live a good life, as you said, around those three elements you spoke about earlier. What, what, what about yourself? I mean, you sort of, when we spoke that day, we're on a very starting to look at nature a lot as well, which I found absolutely um, really deeply interesting because I see it in a number of fronts at the moment as well. And it's something I've never really thought about probably until the last year, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Hey, it's, it's, it's just interesting because one of the quotes that we, you know, see from Zeno of City and the, the founder of this philosophy is that, you know, the goal of life is to align with nature or to, to live in agreement with nature. And then he kind of just drops off because we don't really have a lot from Zeno. There's not a lot from the really early Stoics and, until you start to get to, to Rome. And so this whole idea of alignment with nature, it's in some ways it's clearly defined because we can pick up the pieces, but in other ways, it seems like the Stoic community as a whole is very confused about what it actually means. And I have been very confused about what it actually means as well. What's, what's been interesting on my kind of journey with Stoicism is for the first two and a half years of doing the podcast or for the first two years of doing the show, I really didn't delve into the idea of aligning with nature a lot because I was so confused by it. And if you want to talk about a shadow, like one of my, you know, the things that I kind of deal with is I have this fear of, you know, delving into things uh, or asking questions about things that I don't necessarily understand. You know, it's just, uh, and, and I, I, I was kind of with that mindset for a long time, but jumping back into the podcast, quitting my job, you know, just doing all of these major life transformations for myself, I kind of said, okay, uh, what are the things that I've been avoiding? Uh, and that's one of them. So I better start thinking about this in, in, in a better way and trying to understand it. Um, you know, honestly, whether it's stoicism or not, I, I'm not really interested in that question. I'm more interested in what are these ancient truths that you tend to find pop up all around the world. Yeah. And, and that is really interesting to me, incredibly interesting to me. Um, and so when I started listening to some of Alan Watts, uh, you know, YouTube videos that he did back in the seventies and eighties and, um, you know, you, you hear this guy speaking and a lot of the ideas that he's teaching, um, or he taught back then really do give you a bit of perspective for what the Stoics might have meant. Not that, not that these ancient Eastern philosophical ideas necessarily even influence Stoicism or that, um, that, that that's what Stoicism is. Uh, but it can give you a bit of perspective to maybe fill in some of the pieces. And, and I want to be careful there because, you know, it's, when we're dealing with something like this, I don't want to be the interpreter of Stoicism, but I want to be somebody who looks for these ideas and maybe gives you my perspective. Right. Yeah. And something that I know for myself has been extremely helpful is that understanding that, that this is all far too complex for us to be the most powerful things here. Right. Like, like, <laughs> and if you even think about like what came first, like the human or the idea, right. Consider things like religions and philosophies that have stood the test of time that have, that have 
absolutely shaped the way that we see the world now. Um, even things like Christianity that in many ways has completely shaped modern uh, Western culture. Um, and, and you look at every single nation and their dominating philosophy for life and how the people of that nation kind of mimic the dominant philosophy of life. Uh, um, you know, you even look at places like, um, like, well, that's actually a different discussion. I'm going to go down too many rabbit holes, but, um, <laughs> but, but, but I guess my, my big thought lately has been, has been around, you know, these, these ideas, whether it's Christianity or Stoicism or like, like where do they originate? Right. Because if they're popping up in all of these places around the world, what is the original source for all of these really ingenious ideas? And I know that somebody's going to pop up in the future and tell me, listen, if you look at statistics, if you look at numbers, it's actually very rational. Sorry, rational. Like, of course, you've got billions of people in history. There's going to be the same ideas popping up time and time again. That's probably just answering all of my questions and shutting me down right now. But it's it's still very interesting to me to look at these and think, what can other philosophies, what can other religions teach us about how to understand the one that we're studying currently? Yeah. Uh, and honestly, there's, there's a lot of parallels between Stoicism and Christianity. There's a lot of parallels between Stoicism and Taoism or Buddhism. Yep. Um, yep. And that's just, you've got to look at that and maybe put together the pieces from around the world and say, this is the whole pie, but we only had a chunk of it. Right. Yeah. So yeah, it's, yeah. it's been a really cool few months just kind of delving into those, those other teachers who may yeah. be able to fill in some of the gaps. Oh, and I can't wait to, to listen more about, about that journey of yours as it evolves. Oh, of course it's, it's getting crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I need to, I, I need to, I need, I need to slow down. It's freaking me out, but uh, no, it's, it's, it's been really good. Hey, it's just been, um, it's been a beautiful experience of, of really trying to, you might say sit with these ideas because I haven't been studying more than usual. I've literally just been trying to sit with these ideas and let them seep into my mind, maybe listen to a lot yeah. more, um, you know, spend more time living life, observing life, observing um, what all of this is. Yeah. And when you can get the fundamentals down and just sit with a few ideas and, and try to ask the right questions, I really think that that does, does me uh, almost as much good as sitting down for a few hours and studying, right? Because yeah. you can kind of get into that zone when you're studying where you're just focused on reading the words. But yep. if you read the words and then take a few hours just to go out and go for a run or, you know, go for a hike um, or just go about your life, uh, you know, just go spend some time in culture. Um, yep. You know, you can let those ideas just seep in and maybe make a little bit more sense than when you were just focused on the words on the page. Yeah, absolutely. It's just a, and that's where I think, um, once again, something that, you know, since meeting you, it's really helped me in your view that, you know, philosophy is just not an intellectual pursuit and something that you do exceptionally well is articulate how you can get a practical application from a lot of this knowledge. And I think that's where the needle really gets moved and it's so powerful. I appreciate that. I really appreciate that, Pete. And, uh, you know, this might be a good time uh, now that we're in that, that gratitude state to, you know, finish the interview and, and, and say, we're going to have this again. But um, I, I want to echo again, the, 
seriously, I enjoyed our time so much together. And I think that um, it's such a beautiful thing when two people can just come together and sit down and speak about life. And man, to everybody else out there, you know, if you've been wanting to reach out to somebody, if you've been like, you took that action of emailing me and saying, Hey, listen, I'm a coach, you know, down in Brisbane, want to catch up. That was so good. And, and look what it's led to, you know, a brilliant friendship, um, you know, back and forth and, and a spread of good ideas, which is always a good yeah. thing. So thanks so much for the, extending the olive branch. No, it's my pleasure, mate. And the journey's just started. I can't wait to see what the future brings for you. And, uh, yeah, it'll be, be for all of no us. No matter what happens, it'll be awesome. Absolutely. For all of Definitely. us. <laughs> all right. So there you have it. My interview with Pete Bell. I'm sure that you got just as much as I did out of that conversation. Such a nice guy. So genuine. So, so calm and collected. And man, I, I want to have him back so many more times. And uh, we are continuing the discussion behind the scenes as well. So uh, he's got some very exciting things coming up. Uh, So you can look forward to that as well. But uh, without any further ado, I hope that you enjoyed this episode. You can find the links in the show notes to where you can go and check out everything that Pete's doing. And uh, I'll talk to you next time. But until then, I hope that this episode has helped you on your rise to the good life. Ciao. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Practical Stoic Podcast. If you'd like to stay up to date with the Practical Stoic community and everything to do with this podcast, then just go to my website, simonjedrew.com and subscribe to the Practical Stoic Weekly, a newsletter that I send out every week with updates and all sorts of great Stoic insights. You can also find me everywhere online by searching Simon J. E. Drew. See you next time.